a week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And our second passage is first Peter two verses nine and ten. And it is on page 1014. 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Audrey. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for this morning. And thank you for all that you have blessed us with. Thank you that we can rejoice in the good moments of life, but we can also find your strength and joy in the moments that are really difficult too. And Lord, we recognize that many of us here today are in good places in life. It's been a good week. It's been a good month. And others here this morning, Lord, are are suffering. We're grieving Uh, recognizing that life is taking a different turn. And so, Lord, we pray that you administer your peace and your comfort to us as we explore this word, your word for us this morning. And we pray for open hearts, Lord, to receive what you would have for us. In your name, amen. Amen. Uh, Welcome again. It's great to have you here. And if you're wondering why the chairs are like this, we, we have two weddings this weekend. I did one yesterday, and Belma's doing one this afternoon. So we, are, we center-aisled it. So that it's okay, all's well. Don't worry. Your spot will be returned to you. <laughs> Gail came in and said, we were talking about change on the way here, and then I walked into the sanctuary and was like, what? I brought something I wanted to show you this morning. I'm going to use this to carve the turkey. No, I'm just kidding. I probably won't. This, is, uh, this was a sword that Doug McMillan gave me. Um, soon after I started pastoring, he brought it to an elders meeting once. I don't know what propelled him to do this. He brought it to the meeting, and I really liked it. And then he brought it to the next meeting and said, the Lord told me to give this to you. And I said, yep. Sounds good, Doug. I, I confirm that word. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not sharp. It's okay. It's not like when my dean of students at Eston decided to bring his gun t- 
into the chapel one time as an illustration and afterwards got thinking, yeah, that probably wasn't the best idea. I mean, it was very effective, um, but, you know, maybe not quite the same. So not quite the same. Doug gave me this, um, I had just started pastoring, and it was kind of a, in his mind, was kind of a symbol of the office, of, of the word of the, of the Lord and um, discerning the word. You know, we talk about God's word as a sword. Um, all of those sorts of images and symbols and of sort of recognizing the pastoral office. Sometimes I like to say when no one's here, I run around and, and just, you know, do vanquish things. It's really long. Anyway, I like to run around when no one's here and just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it's very, very cool. And so I have it hanging in my, in my office and uh, I have a few other sort of things with it as well. But I keep it as a reminder, not only was it a gift from Doug and Doug's sort of blessing and, and uh, you know, kind of between friends, but it, there was a recognition that it, it carried something of what God was doing in my life, of sort of a transition from one vocation to another. Um, many of you have seen me where I have got my wooden cross. I don't have it on me right now. Similar thing, it was, a, it was actually a gift not from Doug, it was a gift from my wife, and it was a gift from my ordination. And she asked a friend of ours who we went to Bible school with, who's now a professional joiner, like he works with wood all the time, uh, to make it for me. He's out on the West Coast. And so it was kind of this really unique gift, uh, but very personal, and also, you know, gathering together things from the last sort of 10 years of my life and sort of having them all, having them all combined in this sort of object for me to, to wear and to remember. So the sword, my cross, I've got a couple things. Um, when you graduate from, from your master's, when I graduated from Regent, they hood you. I've talked about this before, but you get to go. You're, instead of turning the tassel, you walk the stage and you kneel, and then they kind of throw your hood over you. And it's very, very cool. I've got a number of these, of these things that mark, they mark a movement in my life. And you, you probably have some of these things too. Something that's marked the transition from, from one phase in your life to another, here's the, here's the big one for a lot of us, right? Here's the, the thing you wear, some sort of object or symbol that marks the transition from one phase of life to another phase of life. And in these gifts, what's, what's, what I've noticed, they speak of blessing and um, calling of my wife. This is a gift from my wife. You give, the gift, you give the rings to each other, even though you go and buy them together. You give them to each other as a symbol of the vows that you make to each other, that now something's changed. We're moving from this stage of life to another stage of life. They speak of commissioning. It conveys a new sense of calling. And here, I say all that to say this. Here in John's Gospel, in this passage that Audrey read for us, we have the risen Lord... This is, this is right after the resurrection. He's commissioning the disciples now to a new task. There's a transition from one way of life, one calling now into a new season, something different, a new vocation. They're going to be the new people of God. This is the, the church being kind of birthed and founded. And so he calls them, but he also gives them a gift in the same way that I got my ring on my wedding day and I got my cool sword from Doug one day and I got my cross at my ordination, etc., etc. Here Jesus gives a gift to his disciples as they make the transition from one stage of life to another. It's not just his blessing, though that's there, 
he also gives them his very own spirit. And so we have here a gift giving of a different kind. He's combining the Holy Spirit with the birth of the church. And the Holy Spirit's going to come and dwell within them. You can, you can even make the argument the Holy Spirit makes the church the church. It's the presence of the Spirit within us that creates the church. And so as we, uh, as we head into this, we're on our second last Sunday on the Creed. And we're going to say the Creed uh, together. If, uh, Dave, if you want to get that ready. Notice, as we get to the part on the Holy Spirit, the Creed intentionally combines the Spirit and the church. Uh, right beside each other because Jesus does. So let's stand together and we're going to confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed with brothers and sisters around the world and many who have gone on before us. Let's confess our faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. What can we learn for our lives from John 20, this whole idea of the Spirit being given and the birth of the church, a new people of God? A couple things I just want to point out. First, this scene, this is the culmination of a big theme in John's Gospel, which is the theme of sending. Right at the beginning, we get Jesus being sent by the Father, as the Father has sent me, so now I'm sending you, Jesus tells his disciples. So the Father sent the Son, now the Son is going to send the Spirit and send the disciples into Christian mission. The first thing we can say about the church, if we were going to say anything at all, is that we're called to be a sent people. We're called to be a missional people. For many of us, it's hard to live that out when we think, I've just kind of Maybe I've lived in the same place I've lived all my life. Just kind of been planted here, you know. This is just this is where I am. Uh, but God calls us as Christians, as the church, to be on mission, to be sent. And there's many churches. I remember, I think it's the Anglican church. As you leave the church buildings, there's a little sign. Many churches have this. You're now entering the mission field, right? It's not necessarily leaving the country. It's going down the street. It's heading back into your home and to your workplace and to your school that this is where God calls us to proclaim and live out the gospel. So the church is the sent people. But he sends them in a very particular way. Look what he says in verse 21. Peace be with you, as the Father sent me, even so I'm sending you. And twice he says this. He says peace. Verse 19, just a little bit ahead. Peace be with you. First thing he says. And then says it again, I like that we need the repetition. I don't always get it the first time. God, I need you to repeat it. Right? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. It's good to know, folks, that the Christian life flows not out of me trying harder, but out of the sovereign, sin-forgiving peace of Jesus. 
the life that God calls us to, the transformation that he invites us into, comes from a person who extends peace. Not try harder, you didn't get it, but rather peace. It's okay. It's okay. We act and live out of the peace of Jesus. And that word peace in the Bible harkens back to the old Hebrew word shalom. And shalom is probably one of the best, best kind of words to wrap our heads around because it's so much more. It's this rich, rich word. It's so much more than just sort of the absence of war, which is what we often think of peace. Uh, in the in the Hebrew mind and worldview, shalom means actually working together. It means cultivating or flourishing. Um, think of, of different uh, bricks on a wall as the bricks come together. You could say there's shalom to that wall. All the pieces have made a whole. And in the same way as Jesus extends peace to his disciples and calls you to peace this morning, it's, it's like that image of think of your own life as a, a variety of bricks, <laughs> sometimes fit together and sometimes don't so much. And the one on the top always falls off, you know. And Jesus, as he calls us to pieces, knitting us, is putting us back together again. There's this sense of completeness and wholeness. But there's also this deeper sense when we think of shalom, of shalom in our communities, which isn't just peace as in we're kind of getting by, but this idea of working together towards the flourishing or the good of the society or the community. So it's this really broad, deep idea of God bringing restoration and reconciliation and making things whole and right, um, flourishing together, like I said. Paul talks about this in Colossians 1, 18 to 20. He says this, again, the church and, and peace brought together. Talking about Jesus, he says, He's the head of the body of the church. In him all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace through the blood of the cross. So just as Jesus has made peace, he's reconciling us back to God out of our sin and death. This is the good news of Jesus that you don't have to be lost in your brokenness and in your sin, but God wants to rescue and redeem you and bring you into the new people of God. So now Jesus is sending the church as the missional people of God, but he sends them strategically as a peace-bringing people, as the shalom-bringing people. We're called to embody and extend the shalom of Jesus wherever he calls us to. And that might be in our relationships with one another in the church. How many know in the church, things happen. People don't always get along. Surprise. Oh, no. That's pretty normal. Whenever you gather a bunch of people together, someone's not going to be super happy. The old adage was where two or three are gathered, there will be conflict. We'll get to that again in a bit. But the idea is that as we encounter our own frustrations and misgivings and conflicts and issues with each other, can we walk forward together in the peace and the shalom of Jesus? And of course, that extends directly into mission as we're called to model the love and the peace of Jesus out there beyond the walls of the church, to seek the good or the shalom or the flourishing of the city. So the church is sent sent by God, 
the sending God into all the world with the life-giving news of Jesus that he's reconciling all things through the cross. He's offering you a new gift of life. If you've never experienced that, I encourage you to receive that gift of new life today. But we're sent not with a, a busyness, a sort of craziness in our minds. What am I doing? How do I do this? God calls me to be sent. Ah! and running around like nuts, but he calls us instead to be sent in his peace, in his shalom, and to embody that to the world. Um, when people are around you, do they, do they experience the life of God or do they experience the, the crazy, hurried busyness of, of your own world and your own, your own issues? This is a good sort of litmus test. When I am around others, do I extend the peace of Christ to them? Do they come away from that encounter feeling more peaceful or more filled with the shalom of God? And, of course, we can't always do that well, but it's a good test. Do I extend the life and grace of Jesus to others in the very ordinary day-to-day conversations that I have? How do we do this? It's easy to say, great, God sends the church, brilliant, calls me to be peaceful, great, I'm not great at that. But I can try and be peaceful and try and be like, you know, a fairly decent person. Brilliant. But I'm going to fail at that all the time. What's handy, what's helpful is the third thing that marks the church in this passage is that Jesus doesn't say, I'm sending you. Peace be with you. Hey, I'm out. See ya. Figure it out on your own. No. He equips and empowers them and fills them with the Holy Spirit. This is the gift to match the new vocation, much like my sword on my wall. Here now is the gift of God's very own spirit to fill them, to animate them, to equip them and empower them to be the sent shalom bringing people of God. So John 20, 21, 22, which we've, we've read already, Jesus says this, peace be with you as the father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, did you notice back at verse 19, what does John say? He says, on the evening of that day. Well, what day is it? Go now back to the very front of the chapter. Verse 1, chapter 20. On the first day of the week. So this is the first day of the new week. Now we're at the more, the evening of that first day of the new week. Well, what new week is it? This is the new resurrection week. This is the first week of God's new creation. And here we are now, and he repeats it again in verse 19. On the evening of that day, don't forget, it's the first day of the week. John really wants you to know. It's the first week of new creation, and now the new people of God are being breathed on by God, filled for a new task. What on earth does this sound like? Where else within a new week have you had people being filled with the breath of God? What's it sound like? It sounds a lot like Genesis, doesn't it? it? Sounds a lot like Genesis 2. And that's exactly the point. It echoes Genesis 2, 7, where the Lord forms the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And here we are now, Rather than God filling a building or a tent with his presence, as we had all through Israel scriptures, now God wants to breathe upon his people and fill the church with the presence of God. 
So now that Shekinah glory presence that Moses experienced, that the people sought for in the temple, that left in Ezekiel and never returned to Herod's temple, now comes and fills the people of God, the church. And so we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. It's amazing. Receive the Holy Spirit. It's a new creation moment for the church. Just as the church is being birthed, it echoes back to Genesis 2. Here we are filled again with the breath of God. And Paul encourages the Christians in Corinth in the same kind of way. In Corinthians, he's warning about the dangers of sexual immorality. And he says, look, it, this matters. What you do with your body matters because your body's not just a hunk of meat. He says, your body is now the place where God's presence dwells. And listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Temple is where the presence of the God, whatever God you might be worshiping in the Middle Eastern, the ancient Near Eastern world, you have a temple where the presence of the Spirit of the God comes, and you often have an image in the temple that represents the God to the world. But in, in the Judeo-Christian worldview, that's all been taken and redeemed and turned on its head where now God fills his whole creation as a temple. And guess who the image is? You and me, made in the image of God, filled with his spirit to represent and act in his character as we're sent into the world, representing him. Of course, that's why we're called ambassadors. But here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God. It's God who's given you his Holy Spirit. You're not your own anymore. You were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. The point being, the body matters in the Christian life. It's not just something to be discarded or thrown away. God has redeemed the body and fills it with his own spirit. It's his transforming, life-giving presence and what you do with your body matters. But he's empowering us with his spirit for life and for mission. And this whole idea of being filled with the Spirit comes up all over in the Bible, but it reminds us specifically of Israel's hope that God would come and change the hearts of people so that we would respond with obedience and live in God's life and out of his love. Listen to Ezekiel 36. This is God's heart for people. And here's Jesus fulfilling it. But God's heart here in Ezekiel 36, he says this, I want to give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh. How many times have you felt, I feel distant from God, I feel distant from people, I feel like I'm not even sure who I am, I feel like I don't even care anymore, my heart feels like a hunk of stone. I've lost the ability to feel, I've lost the ability to seek after God, I don't even know if he's there, I don't even know if I care anymore whether he's there or not. A heart of stone. This is God's heart for those of you who feel you have a heart of stone this morning. He says here in Ezekiel 36, I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh. I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, that you'd be careful to observe my ordinances. You'll live in the land that I gave to your forefathers. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. This is God's heart for us, folks, to call us out of sin and to change out a heart of stone with a heart of flesh, a heart that can experience life. And not only that, to put his Holy Spirit within us so we can know a personal 
relationship with God. Or as Peter puts it later in Acts 2, he says, this is the fulfillment of Joel, who said that God would pour his spirit out on all people. Folks, as we read about the Holy Spirit being poured out, being breathed upon the church, this is all about God wanting to give you new life, a new beginning, a fresh start, to remove the heart of stone and put in his spirit and a heart of flesh to dwell within us. It's an amazing, beautiful, wonderful invitation for all of us this morning. So, so far, John brings these two things together, the life and the presence of the Spirit with the life of the church, with the people of God. And we've seen, he kind of, he says, hey, these two go together, being the church, being the sent people of God, extending the shalom of God, means you better you better understand the spirit filling nature of being in God. We need to be filled with him in order to do this well. To be missional, to be shalom bringing, to be spirit filled is all kind of part and parcel of being the church together. We need Jesus. We need God to live out the calling he has for us. Matt, it sure made this passage really handy for talking about the Apostles' Creed. I was reading along going, believe in the Holy Spirit believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, communion of saints, forgiveness of sins. Huh, I know a passage that brings all that together. Yeah, yeah, okay. And it was so great. Here we are. Jesus sending us, bringing the church together, filling us with the Spirit. And then the creed talks about forgiveness of sins and look what Jesus brings up right away. The very next thing he says, verse 23. Well, 22, he says, receive the Holy Spirit Then he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So Jesus is giving the church her mission and identity, right? We're the sent people of God, sent with the same love and peace that Jesus has come for us. We're filled and equipped by the Spirit, but then we get this sentence on forgiveness. And man, at first brush, it sounds really strange, right? It kind of sounds like individual Christians or churches have the authority on their own to forgive or not to forgive people's sins. That's kind of what it sounds like, hey? But what, we, what do we know about forgiveness? Well, we know it's God who forgives sins, first off, which is why, what got Jesus in such trouble and during his ministry when he would say, you're healed, oh, and by the way, your sins are forgiven, and the Pharisees freak out and start grabbing stones and start planning to kill him because only Yahweh forgives sins. Only God forgives sins. It's God who forgives sin. So what's Jesus saying here? Well, this, this, they are forgiven passage and the it is withheld passage. In Greek, these are perfect tense verbs. And now comes the grammar section of the sermon. Uh, perfect tense refers to a, an action that's completed, but still has ramifications for right now. It's already done, but the results are still being felt in the present. So you might say, instead of just, I walked, which is an event that happened in the past, I was, I walked, to do, to do, you would say, I have just walked. So the walking is completed, but I'm still sweaty and tired from it, right? I can still feel the walk in the present. These verbs are in the perfect tense. It could easily be translated also, they have been forgiven, or it has been withheld. And this makes much more sense for the mission of the church, I think. As the, as the church proclaims the gospel message of forgiveness of sins and the power of the Spirit, as we do that, we proclaim that to come to Jesus is to have our sins forgiven, 
to not come to Jesus, to specifically avoid him, to turn our backs on him, means our sins are not. And we're not doing that as sort of doling out a personal judgment kind of thing. We're proclaiming the word of God. We're proclaiming Jesus' own mission as he invites people into repentance. Basically, that there's eternal consequences to what happens, to what we decide to do. What will you do with Jesus? Will your sins be forgiven or not? And that ball is in your court as you respond to the gospel. Here's the kicker, though. If we're going to speak about God's forgiveness, we must note we need to be a people who can extend forgiveness to each other, don't we? If we're going to talk about God forgiving our sins, coming to the cross, paying the price for them, and then be uh, totally unforgiving and hateful and spiteful towards each other, man, that doesn't quite line up very well. Colossians 3.13 says, Bearing with one another, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. All that to say this, the church is the missional, shalom-bringing, spirit-filled people of forgiveness. We're called to be proclaiming and living out the gospel of Jesus. And of course, the creed, as we said it just a little bit ago, also talks about the communion of saints. And this is true. The church is not just the visible church. It includes all those believers who have gone before us. And that sense of communion refers to our ongoing unity in and life in God, right? And that promise, just even as Al talked about this morning a little bit, that promise of our being reunited again. And we'll talk about that next week when we talk about resurrection and life everlasting. But part of the mission of the communion of saints refers to our being one in Christ. And that means we need to care about our unity as believers here and now. Not only are we to be extending forgiveness, but we need to recognize that as others come and gather around the risen and crucified Lord, so they are welcomed into the family of God. I may not like that person. I may rather avoid them. Thank you. But as they come to Jesus, they also are welcomed. Jesus, in this passage, is unifying the scattered disciples. If you're to read what happens at the crucifixion, they all leave him, right? They all flee. They are scattered, lost, afraid, and now Jesus is bringing them back, not just to have a shared common goal or a shared sort of idea of what matters in life, but he brings them around himself. Jesus is the one who is the measure of our unity within the church and with other churches, really. And as you read later on in Acts 2, you get a few references to how the church is now. We're not just scattered. It'll say a couple times, you read the disciples were all joined together in prayer, and they're all together in one place. That happens after this encounter with Jesus in John 20. When we come to Jesus, when we allow his life and love to change us, it brings us into a new family. It unites us and gathers us together again. Now, I know it's difficult for some of us, especially if we've had a, a difficult experience in our past with different Christian traditions. When we talk about the Holy Catholic Church, and I made the point when we first started the series, we're talking about lower C Catholic, which refers to common or universal or worldwide church, not necessarily capital C Catholic with a capital R, meaning the Roman tradition. 
but we're united in Jesus and we're gathered together. And even within our own congregation, you see this. We're gathered together from all different walks of life, all different levels of education, right? All different backgrounds, different skin colors, different abilities, different places on a mental health spectrum, different places on a mental illness spectrum, many of us. Some of us have special needs, some of us don't, but we're all gathered together around Jesus. And it's so important to remember, too, what this means is that Jesus has bought one bride for himself, one people of God made up of every tribe and tongue and nation. And this is a really great gift, is that in the church we see people being reconciled together uh, around Jesus. At the same time, we might say we're really different. We're all really the same, too, because we're all sinners in need of a Savior. So as much as people may talk about the diversity, man, at the end of the day, we're all beggars pointing to the bread together. Listen to that verse again from Colossians 1.20. Through Jesus, God is reconciling to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood, shed on the cross. All things really means all things. And think of the scope of what that verse includes. This is a humanity-wide, creation-wide call to reconciliation. It means that our union with Jesus and our mission is to be the people who can extend forgiveness like him to others. And the best uh, possible way to live in unity together is to remain focused on Jesus and his gospel. Now, all that said, the moment that as Christians or as different uh, sort of pseudo-Christian groups might say, uh, the moment we turn away from the gospel, the minute we turn away from who Jesus is or we pervert the gospel or twist it into something else, the moment we leave or we've stepped out of line of the worldwide communion of the church. And when we were in B.C., uh, when I was doing my master's, we attended a church that was walking through some very difficult times. Um, they were part of uh, an Anglican, the Anglican Church of Canada at that time. And the bishop in that area, I don't really know how it all works, so you've got to bear with me, but the bishop in that area was pursuing... Um, a theology that was very different, very incompatible with the creed, very incompatible with what the church has traditionally upheld. And so many of the churches under his leadership were leaving and, and came out of that and made a new sort of communion, a new sort of group together, a new sort of fellowship but what was interesting was the fellowship that they created as they left was actually more in common with the church worldwide than the one that they left. The one that they left was the one that was changing away from the gospel. And here they were returning back to the center. And I talked to one Anglican fellow who had had a prophetic dream. Yes, I know. Amazing. He'd had a prophetic dream. And he said, we were on the Sea of Galilee in boats. And Jesus was saying, come over to the other side. This was right when they were working through all the hardship and all the transition. And so he looked around, and his boat was going with people from his church, and he looked back, and there was hundreds of boats choosing to follow Jesus. And he said, I knew in that moment we were going to be okay. God's got his church, folks. 
God's got his church. We need to seek a unity with others, but not at the expense of the truth of the gospel and of who Jesus Christ is. I'm serving on the ministerial of our of, uh, of Dryden, a ministerial association, all the pastors get together. I miss the first meeting. Guess what happens when you miss the first meeting? They make you the chair. Oh. I read the minutes. They said, let's make Nick the chair, question mark, question mark. No one was jumping up. I said, fine, I'll do it. What a blessing. We met this past week. Do we all believe the same thing on everything? No. Can we agree on some of the core essentials? Absolutely. Can we be on mission and extend the shalom of God to Dryden together and pray for each other and pray for our churches? Yes, we can. It's a picture of the unity that Jesus longs for, for his people. Will we get it right? Not always. Do we stumble along the way? Absolutely. But do we try to seek a life together with Christ at the center as best as we can? Yes. Yes, we do. As we wrap this up, some thoughts for us. We believe in the life-giving presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Of course, this is important even to this church as a Pentecostal church. We believe in the power and gifting and presence and filling of the Spirit. As we saw at work this morning, as one, this is very New Testament, it's very biblical, one gave a message in tongues and another one interprets. Go read 1 Corinthians, you'll find this happening. Paul assumes the first churches, the original churches, are charismatic. It's just an assumption that the work of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit are flowing, but they also flow in love and in order and in the peace of God, in the shalom of God. The moment our charismatic churches get really wonky and people start getting hurt and things go chaotic, we, are, we need to be very careful that we're not, uh, is there flesh involved in that and people just doing weird stuff? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Is there flesh involved in all the stuff we do as we try to live and serve Jesus? Absolutely there is. Of course, I come with all my own messed up stuff, right? As I come to preach, I come with all my own messed up stuff. I seek to do it, do it well. I seek to follow Jesus, but I'm not perfect. And so we seek to live out the spirit-filled life of what God calls us to in a way that is keeping with what Paul teaches in the New Testament and in keeping with the character of God. If, if Jesus sends us in his shalom, in his peace, in his bringing together, then the way the Spirit will operate in the church will also be in a bringing together. It doesn't mean that things don't get occasionally messy, but it also doesn't mean that we just shut down the whole thing. We do this in love and generosity and grace to one another. So it's wonderful that we do that. and We see that even at work this morning. Some of you maybe are from different traditions or you're You've never been to a Pentecostal church, and so someone saying something like that or jumping up or someone else speaking or, or whatever it might be, giving a prophetic word, might seem really weird or different to you, and that's okay. Um, it's, it's good for us to learn from each other's traditions, but I, I encourage you, what we, what we seek to do as we do that is very, very biblical. And part of my calling is to make sure we, we honor the Spirit of God and do so, operate in the gifts in a way that is grace-filled, but also keeps to the core of honoring Jesus and edifying the body. So we don't shut down the spirit, but we also don't just uh, say, well, anything goes, because guess what? When anything goes, the flesh comes into play as well. And so we, we want to do that well. We want to do that well. We believe in the life-giving presence and power of the spirit. We believe in Jesus who gathers people together in his love, the church, 
We believe that we're sent on mission. We believe we're called to bring the shalom and the forgiveness of God, that we're called to repentance and into unity and into love, and that we're part of a people that's continents-wide and also centuries deep, a communion of saints made up of all those who've gone before us. And of course, we'll talk more about resurrection next week. How do we respond to all of this? I have a few questions for you to ponder. The first one, thinking about the Spirit. Are you open to the Spirit's work in your life? Do you have an idea of God that he's just sort of distant and he just sort of prescribes things and I kind of do my thing? What's so helpful about a healthy theology of of the Spirit is that we recognize God will suddenly show up in my life in ways I didn't expect. He is alive and at work, and sometimes something spontaneous happens. And we go with the flow. Are you open to the Spirit's work in your life? Have you allowed him to come and to breathe into you and renew you? Or maybe you need that afresh this morning. Where is God sending you, this is the second question, to bring his shalom? Where is there brokenness in your life or in your family or in your workplace where you can extend the peace of Christ and not just sort of fix it yourself, but do your part in participating in what God wants to do in that area? Where do you need God to fill you with his spirit? Where can you extend the shalom of Christ? My third question is this. Is there someone you need to forgive? If we're to be the people of reconciliation and forgiveness and love, how much more do we need to see that at work in our own individual lives? That's hard to do, isn't it? Oh, oh forgive someone? I need to ask for forgiveness? Oh, come on. It's easier just to ignore it. Pretend it'll all get better. Let's pray and ask Jesus to guide us as a church to breathe in afresh the life of the Spirit, to be sent with his shalom to bear on our world, and even, perhaps the hardest one, be willing to ask for forgiveness and to extend forgiveness to others. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints and the forgiveness of sins let's pray we're going to take some time to pray as well it's five to twelve i'd like to pray about the upcoming election and we also want to remember keith McEwen. he's really hurt his back there's others here as well that have needs let's take a few minutes and just lift these to the lord together why don't we stand we'll pray Lord Jesus, first we thank you for the salvation life you offer to us. Lord, thank you for taking the cross, for bearing our sins, my sins, Lord, that I can know your life and your forgiveness and your hope. And I pray this morning, if there is anyone here, Lord, who is seeking you, never chosen to follow you and accept you, that they would choose this morning and say, I want a relationship with Jesus. I want to let go of my sins and to begin a new life in you. Lord, I thank you for this passage that reminds us of our calling. Just as many of us have been given gifts at different points in our lives that symbolize a movement, a transition from one stage of life to another, 
Lord, so you fill your church with your spirit to symbolize, to empower us from a calling of our own to a calling of life with you. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, for an outpouring of your spirit upon this church and upon our city. Lord, that you would move and be at work in our world. Lord, we especially think of that as this election comes up. And we pray, Lord, that you would encourage all of us to go and to vote, to participate in the duty that you've granted to us, the freedoms that have been won so we can, we can join as good citizens in the country and in the city that you have planted us. Lord, I pray that as we would vote, that you would be at work in the hearts and lives of each one who's let their name stand. Lord, that you would draw each one to yourself. And Lord, we pray a turn to righteousness, Lord, in this land. Jesus, we confess and we repent of the ways in which we have turned away from you. Lord, the ways your heart's been grieved by decisions we've made, and, uh, situations, Lord, where we have, uh, we've hurt your name, where we have turned aside. And Lord, we pray, we repent, we pray that there would be a turning back to you, Lord. Lord, we pray for uh, who will be elected for the new MPs and returning MPs, Lord, for uh, the prime minister, whoever that will be. Lord, we pray that you would move on the hearts of each one. There's some that know you, Lord. There's others that don't. But Jesus, we pray that you would put a fire in their hearts to come to know the risen Jesus. Lord, that you would bring many to faith, that you would turn hearts, Lord, towards righteousness and towards truth. Lord, that you would give us wisdom as we would vote, Lord, uh, to know who to vote for, to do that honestly and well. Lord, we pray for spiritual renewal and revival for our, our land and for our country. Lord, may that also begin in us. And so, Jesus, we think again of your call in this passage to extend shalom to others to be a people of forgiveness, not on our own power, but through your life-giving spirit. So, Lord, I bless your people today, and I pray you would fill us afresh, give us wisdom as we navigate our home lives and our work and families, asking how can I extend the shalom of God here in this moment, and simply to rest in that, not to take on more than we're able, not to take all the troubles of our world and our families upon our own shoulders, but to rest in your grace for each moment. Say, Lord, what have you called me to here and now with this one before me? Lord, may we be a people of forgiveness and grace. And as you've taught us, we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Friends, love you. Thanks for being here. What a crowd we have, hey? You are loved and blessed. 
I'm going to give the benediction. Just a reminder, no prayer tonight here at the church. I encourage you to spend time with your families. But if you would like prayer this morning, if you would like to talk to me about anything I've preached on or you just feel you'd like to connect with someone, there's people with the prayer badges on, the pastoral team's got their badges on. If you would like prayer, do come up to the front. We'd love to pray with you. Before you go, receive this benediction. Children of God, loved and forgiven by our Lord Jesus Christ. May you be filled with the Holy Spirit. May you go with the peace of Christ to bring his peace to bear on his world that he loves. And may you be a people of forgiveness, living out the same forgiveness that Jesus has shown you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen? Amen. I love you. Have a great week. Happy Thanksgiving. God bless you.